Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Hi, and welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today and we're looking forward to you being a part of the show today. So if you want to call in and talk about things oil and gas related, please feel, please feel free to call us at 210-308-8867. Again, that's 210-308-8867. So, of course, the phone number has changed. We've changed from the previous studio in which we were on on Saturdays at 2, now we're Sundays at 2. So please put that in your calendar. Um, before we bring on our guest for today, which we will be joined by Bill Stevens, who is uh, the chief uh, lobbyist for Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, as well as the editor of Shell Magazine, I wanted to talk to you quickly about the latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which the feature or the cover is the Secretary of Interior, former Secretary of Interior, Ryan Zinke. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I was amazed when I uh, read uh, former uh, Secretary of Interior's profile uh, was how long this man has donated his life to public service, uh, first in the military and then, of course, serving as a member of Congress. And then, of course, we remember that he was serving uh, with President Trump as well and recently uh, resigned his post. So very interesting uh, man and his story. For more information, I encourage you to go to shellmag.com and, and learn all about him. Also, uh, we are having a wonderful mixer in Midland, focusing on upstream and midstream. It's The date is set for October 30th at 6 p.m. It will be at the Hilton Midland Plaza at the Sky Lounge. It's looking uh, over downtown, beautiful Midland, uh, and I en- encourage you to join us. Now, this will probably be a sold-out event, so if you want to come and network, have a few drinks, we're going to have some amazing door prizes. I think we are having an Odyssey putter that we're giving away as one of the prizes. Um, you'll need to go to shellmag.com and click on the banner ad. It will be a sold-out mixer. And also, uh, you know, we've had for three years an advocacy group that I just personally really love. Uh, it's called Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, better known as TEAK. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing uh, advocacy groups in Texas, uh, basically known for having a lot of educational information uh, uh, mixers and uh, f- of social forums that help encourage getting involved, getting engaged, and mostly learning about uh, oil and gas. I encourage you to join. Go to, for more information or to join, go to Texas, that's txenergyadvocates.com. Again, that's txenergyadvocates.com to learn more and, of course, to sign up and uh, be invited to all the great events that they have throughout the year. And now it's time for us to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, happy to be here. You know, I'm really excited uh, because uh, I know you are in a different location, but I'm actually in uh, our studio in San Antonio and uh, 
Boy, it, it's sweet. We are uh, overlooking the San Antonio airport, watching all these big planes come in and out, and uh, pretty pretty cool setup here uh, in our new studio. So I'm really excited about that. And of course, the weather couldn't be better. Just looking out at San Antonio skyline is amazing. Uh, but yes, beautiful day up here where I am too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you know, we've had some very interesting movement. Uh, oil prices firmed up a little bit. Uh, um, this week. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've had some falling prices. And then of course, it's short up. So let's talk a little bit about why are these changes occurring? Well, we had a couple of big factors this week, we we had a, a very significant drawdown in, in US inventories, uh, crude oil inventories this week, which is typically an indicator that the, the markets rebalanced, and we're using a little more oil than, than we're actually producing. And that always stimulates the price to some extent. But then the other other factor that really kind of uh, led to, to some bullish activity on prices throughout the week was continuing strong signals that uh, the U.S. and China are uh, trade negotiations are actually making really good progress towards reaching some interim agreement, not a, a, an overarching comprehensive deal, but an interim deal on specific items like soybeans and other other farm products and things like that. Uh, and that would be good. And of course, anything that, that results in, in a good trade deal between these two countries and a lifting of some of those tariffs will only stimulate both economies and, and cause more crude oil demand. So yeah, it was a good week for oil prices. We went from about, what, uh, near 52 to almost or over 56 for the week. So, you know, that's an 8% increase in a week. That's pretty strong. Interesting. You know, we had some uh, announcements this morning uh, pertaining to some activities going on in the Middle East. And I guess, you know, yeah. some of the things that are really um, quite uh, – I think a lot of the listeners are not really sure about is how much of the Middle East – and the things that are happening over there affect us. I mean, it used to affect us in so many major ways. Now it's 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 not so much. So uh, right. give me your opinion on what happened. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of activity in the Middle East. This morning was more activity. Yeah. So tell well, me a little bit you know, about your thoughts. It, yeah, uh, the, of course, the president made a speech this morning announcing that, um, let me be sure I get this right, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who is the founder and, and leader of ISIS, uh, actually created that terrorist group, was killed last night by U.S. in a raid by U.S. military personnel. He actually killed himself, took the coward's way out, uh, detonated a, a suicide vest that he was wearing. Um, you know, uh, since we have become such a big producer, I mean, you're right, uh, years ago, uh, less than 10 years ago, uh, things happening in the Middle East, an event like this would cause a significant spike in oil prices, Um and, and the United States was was really very very dependent on, on Middle Eastern crude oil. But uh, over the last ten years, we've more than doubled our own production here in the United States, and we're a lot less dependent on what happens over there. We still have interests in the Middle East, but uh, we don't have the strategic national security interests in the Middle mm-hmm. East that mm-hmm. we had, you know, when we were importing sixty to seventy percent of our crude oil. So it it. Um, really lessens the need for us to to be constantly and continuously militarily involved over there. Yeah, let's switch gears a little bit, talk a little bit about China and the U.S., because there's also been some uh, 
movement there, some uptick in oil prices, and a large part was due to the optimism from U.S. and China and the, the negotiations or the trade discussions again. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, how likely um, are you know we to see any real movement? How will it impact the oil and gas industry or the industry? Do you think it'll impact yeah. it in a positive way? And more importantly, do we really come to some kind of an agreement here in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I, I remain optimistic that ultimately there will be a comprehensive deal. Um, you know, like I said a minute ago, we, we, they're working right now on an interim agreement on some critical uh, items to both countries. Uh, China needs U.S. Uh, agricultural imports like soybeans to feed their people, frankly. And, uh, and our farmers are heavily dependent on those exports. So all of that is good. And... Uh, but, you know, overall, we, we just have a, an array of import-export interests with, with China. And uh, for those previous 35 years, uh, the United States has um, voluntarily, frankly, allowed China to uh, place heavy tariffs on imports from the U.S. over there. Uh, and while our country uh, didn't respond in kind, and, and uh, you know, President Trump, that, that has caused a big drain in our national wealth. It has made... China, a very wealthy country at the expense of the United States, which right. is why you see China uh, investing so heavily in real estate and, mm-hmm. and other ventures here in the United States of America, because all of our money is flowed over there, all our factories. And so all of that's coming back to the United States through the, the president's trade and tariff policies. And, uh, you know, I, I think China, frankly, has a bigger interest in ultimately reaching a comprehensive deal than we do. Interesting. Uh, we also are starting to see some changes. I want to bring it back to Texas. Um, speaker Dennis uh, Bonner announced that he would be vacating the Speaker's office next year. Um, and I guess my question is, do you see any changes um, in the oil and gas sector because of this change at the Speaker of the House? Well, it, that's, you know, it's a tough one. And when we get to talk to Bill Stevens, he'll, he'll probably have some really strong insights on that as well. Uh, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Uh, Speaker Bonin has oh, been... Oh, the unknown. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And, you know, Speaker Bonin has been uh, supportive of oil and gas issues uh, in, in the House and uh, certainly was a positive factor for the industry in this past session. Uh, certainly didn't do anything to harm the industry. and um, But anytime there's a change in the leadership uh, in either either the lieutenant governor's office or the, the House Speaker's office, those are very powerful positions. And and the men and women who, who are in those jobs have a big influence over what does and does not move in, in the Texas legislature in a given session. So it's... Um, It'll be really interesting to see. Uh, I'm sure there will be quite a few uh, members of the of the House put their hats in the ring uh, to become the next speaker. It will almost certainly be a Republican because the Republicans, I think, have, I believe it's 85 of the 150 seats in the House of Representatives or maybe 87. And so it, it, it will be another Republican. Um, and, and we'll just have to wait and see, but hopefully it won't have any real negative impacts on the industry. Exactly. Well, I, uh, we are going to get ready for a break. When we return, we'll be joined by Bill Stevens, the chief lobbyist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And David, you'll be staying with us as well. 
You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. And today we will be bringing on David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, and we'll also be joined by Bill Stevens, who is the consultant and chief lobbyist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Bill, are you with us? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfect. I'm glad you're joining us today. You know, we usually uh, really enjoy our partnership that we have with the Texas Alliance. Um, And our partnership consists of you guys coming on the radio with us and helping us answer questions on oil and gas. Uh, and all things related to oil and gas. And so we look forward to that. Uh, And I've asked David to join us as well, because, you know, he is also a wealth of information. But I I wanted to say thank you for y'all's partnership in helping us inform the public on oil and gas, because, you know, it is so important that we understand how important oil and gas is to this state. Um, And so I wanted to get started with a couple of questions. But first things first, uh, tell me a little bit about, Bill, you've been with the Alliance for for many, many, many years. Uh, tell me a little bit about the organization and what you're doing there. Well, we started the organization as um, I think if, if your listeners heard the interlude, it was a merger uh, in the year 2000 between two old oil and gas associations, West Central Texas out of Abilene and North Texas uh, out of Wichita Falls, and we merged our two memberships together and took it statewide and um, representing predominantly at that time uh, small independent producers, conventional drillers, uh, and 65% still today, uh, 65% of our membership has fewer than, uh, uh, their companies have fewer than 10 employees. Now, we also have 5% of our membership that are large uh, uh public companies of which you know the names 
but uh, it's been a good, uh, uh, good for independence, and we think good for the industry uh, in Texas. And uh, um, I'm real happy to work with them. I started off as an employee, as the executive vice president of the group, uh, but about 10 years ago became a consultant because I have some other interests as well. But most of those other interests are in water, and they dovetail right into what we're doing uh, uh, at the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. So at any rate, and by the way, we really appreciate It's a two-way street, uh, Kim, with you and David. We uh, appreciate the uh, uh, opportunity to be on your radio show, to participate in your magazine, and uh, it's a good service, and I think it's a good partnership. Well, thank you. And actually, we're pretty excited because we have partnered uh, October 30th. We are doing a mixer in which it really is designed to be a partnership with you guys to help promote awareness for the membership for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, that they can come, uh, network, mingle, and, of course, join the association as well to stay in the loop with with, uh, what you guys are doing as well. So uh, we do encourage our listeners to go and buy tickets. It'll more than likely be a sold-out mixer. Um, so then go to shellmag.com, click on the mixer link, and uh, get their tickets. Uh, but so let me bring on Joe. Joe's online too. He is one of our uh, biggest supporters, uh, consistently engaged in oil and gas. Very, very smart guy. And uh, he has a question for you, Bill, and, and possibly David. Joe, are you on the line? How are you? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm right here. Excellent. Now, Joe, you call, you're call. you calling in from from where? Uh, the Woodlands, Texas. Houston area. Okay. Yeah, that's right. There's a, I mean, we kind of air in five different markets, so there's quite a few different uh, different markets that we kind of cater to, and of course, Houston is one of the best ones. So, Joe, exactly. um, tell me a little bit about, uh, or ask, uh, who's your question for today? Is it for Bill? Uh, well, the uh, question is basically about the wildfires in California, and we see in the news media where a lot of the blame goes towards uh, Pacific Gas and Electric. But then, on the other hand, some of it could be with the California land management out there, where you know basically the overgrowth isn't trimmed, uh, causing you know the electrical sparks on these lines. So. Uh, in your ideas, uh, who would be most to blame? Oh, uh, David <laughs> well, or uh, I, Bill? <laughs> Want to take a stab I at that? that. Uh, Kim, you know, uh, uh, in our interview with former Interior Secretary Zinke, um, he was pretty clear about his belief that the, the improper management of the forest out there in California and, and the refusal by the environmental lobby to allow the clearing of, of undergrowth that should have been cleared years ago uh, leads to a lot of those fires and makes them burn hotter and makes them far more difficult to put out. Um, it's true, yes. And unfortunately, you're right, overgrowth of trees that hang above power lines leads to sparks that leads to fires, and uh, that happens all over the country, not just in California. So, you know, PG&E is uh, unfortunately taking the corporate decision to force these blackouts uh, because of all lawsuits that get filed uh, against them anytime their equipment is, is blamed for a wildfire. And so these blackouts are basically a dif- defensive measure PG&E is taking, and you can't blame them to do it. Uh, otherwise, they're going to be subject to hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits. So I don't know, Bill, did you want to address that too? 
Well, I would, yes. I mean, you're exactly right, David. And, and uh, uh, I would just go so far as to say that, uh, you know, we have some pretty thick uh, uh, brush overhanging trees throughout Texas and different places in the, in the hill country. We, uh, and, uh, and in East Texas, we have similar, some similar things, but we don't have that type of runaway wildfire fires. I don't, so I don't understand it. Um, uh, I would say this, I'm looking forward to going, however. I'm supposed to spend Thanksgiving six or seven days on uh, Muir Beach, just north of San Francisco along the coast, obviously. And uh, But as I talked to my friends who have invited us out there, they're within 30 miles. They live there in Mill Valley and Sausalito. They're within 30 miles of these fires and have already had the, the blackout. And so... Uh, they don't understand it, and they're, they're, they're concerned as well. Sorry I don't have a better explanation. Well, you know, uh, we're going to get ready for break, but I think the other interesting thing is there was an article, a media coverage that came out on a lot of the insurance companies are basically cutting out of the California market and not insuring fires anymore. So there's serious problems going on there. We're going to take a break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a live show. We're in our new studio, 9.30 a.m. The Answer in San Antonio, Texas. And I encourage our listeners who are new to our show on this station to call in. If you have an oil and gas question, we'd love to talk to you about it. Our phone number to call in is area code 210-308-8888. Six seven, and I want to thank our executive producer Barry, who has really been uh, a great person as well as playing good music in between the breaks. Uh, but let's get back on topic. Uh, we are joined by David Blackman, editor of Shell Magazine, and Bill Stevens, who is the chief lobbyist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Guys, welcome back from the break. Um, David, I'm going to go ahead and let you, I know you have a question pertaining to the Alliance. So go ahead and and let's get that question before I bring on a caller. Yeah, Bill, uh, I wanted to to talk with you, give you a chance to talk about the white paper that uh, the Alliance issued uh, about oil field produced water. I I think it was issued in late September um, and it addresses potential policy alternatives for using and disposing of this pretty valuable commodity and i just want to give you a chance to to give us a summary of what that's all about and and talk about how how it's been received by policymakers here a a few weeks since it's been released well let me begin can you hear me okay i had a change in my uh, nope you're fine you're fine we can hear you just fine yeah we can hear you um i think so far i would just tell you that it's been received really really well and better than uh uh, better than I had anticipated. Um, uh, the white paper had its origins. Um, we've been working on uh, for about three years now. So a thing called cooperative federalism in the delegation of federal authorities at agents, federal agencies back to state agencies. So we could have Texas regulating Texans. Um, and one of those... Uh, delegations from EPA would be the National Pollution Discharge Elimination Permitting. If you want to discharge, if you want to clean up water 
not just produced oil and gas water, but any kind of industry water. You want to clean it up and then discharge it uh, for a beneficial use, uh, then you have to have a permit from EPA. We're trying to get that uh, back to uh, back to Texas. Uh, all oil and gas waste, which uh, produced water is considered to be an oil and gas waste, uh, has been regulated by the Railroad Commission. The legislature has said that. During this past session, we were able to, um, uh, we, and with the, with the uh, help of the Railroad Commission, but we moved that delegation of, uh, uh, of that beneficial use uh, from the Railroad Commission to TCEQ to govern that. Uh, and the bill also then requires uh, TCEQ by September 1 of 2021 uh, to uh, apply uh, for uh, that delegation from EPA. We're hopeful that that will get done, and uh, it's moving along just real well. We started the white paper on produced water because, you know, we produce in Texas, along with every, every well that produces hydrocarbons, nearly every well produces some uh, formation water uh, as well. 8.1 billion barrels. Uh, of produced water is produced in Texas this past year, eight one point billion barrels. And a vast, vast majority of that, 95% of it or so, is um, uh, disposed of downhole uh, in a non-productive zone that is approved by the Railroad Commission. So we either pipe it or truck it uh, uh, a few miles from the well, and then we put that... Uh, uh, put the water uh, down the hole. And some of it can be used also, again, uh, for repressuring the same zone or uh, for enhanced oil recovery. But the vast majority of it is disposed and lost out of the ecosystem basically forever as it's put back down hole. Interesting. Hey, Bill, when we get back from break, I want to get back on that topic because I think there's some important discussion on is this water able to be recycled uh, in in better ways and why is D.C. basically controlling it uh, or the EPA at this current time. Uh, But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We're being joined today by the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman, and the chief lobbyist for the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and their consultant, uh, Bill Stevens. And uh, Bill, before the break, we were talking about a rollout that the Texas Alliance is having on produced water. Um, It started in Austin. Um, and I understand that uh, your uh, some of your team is going to be heading to D.C. to roll this out as well. 
Uh, before the break, you were kind of talking about what you guys were hoping to get accomplished. And I want to get back on that topic because we had to cut to a break. Um, you're saying that the EPA was was is basically over it and you're hoping to make some some changes. So let's get back on that topic. Uh, I think we kind of didn't quite completely finish. Yeah. One thing, one thing to be very, very plain about, and everybody needs to know, because we're all concerned about water. Of course. Uh, in, in Texas and having good, clean, good quality water. We are not asking, and this is, has nothing to do with changing the current standards, whether at TCEQ or at EPA. We're not looking for that. We're looking, we just want the regulation of it to be in Texas. We think it will be more responsive, and in taking three years or more, to get a permit, you may be able to get one, we think, in a year if we do it with Texas, and it's not, there's not a redundancy there. Oh, yeah, the efficiency but, would uh, probably be immensely yeah. increased. You bet. And uh, so we feel real good about that. Now, in uh, this, this white paper, we did roll out in Austin on September the 16th. It's had a very good reception with Texas legislators. And, in fact, one of the things to remember, when TCEQ does make this, uh, approach to EPA official, two things have to happen. There has to be an opinion from the Attorney General of Texas uh, that uh, we have the capability and the, and, the legal, uh, and the legal capacity to handle it. And then there also has to be a direct request, a letter request from the Governor of Texas. We feel regularly certain that both of those uh, will are in the making. I mean, the Governor signed the bills that came out this last session on produced water, uh, mm-hmm. and we've talked with the Attorney General about it. He's well aware. So we think that will move forward, and that's good. But we're looking for an opportunity, instead of putting this water down hole, that we can clean it up, and there have been great strides made in the last six years uh, from a, a desalination to water recycling of produced water and of all kinds of brackish water as well. Uh, we we really are in a much better position to do this and think that uh, uh, we can do it without uh, endangering the quality of our, our water in Texas. Uh, we um, When we are in D.C., and that is tomorrow, I'm not up there, but the contingency will be there tomorrow from the Alliance, and they'll be meeting with the Department of Energy, they'll be meeting with EPA, and then they'll also have a luncheon, and meet with um, members uh, and chiefs of staff of the Texas delegation, uh, congressional delegation, to get them uh, up to speed on this as well. Um, The growth in water midstream companies, those companies that take your water, they provide provide an oil and gas producer water, they take back the produced water, uh, they pipe it, uh, they may dispose of it, but they also can recycle it or work with recyclers to do so. Uh, that that industry is growing, particularly in the Permian Basin in Texas. And so, uh, uh, at any rate, it's time for it to happen, and we're excited about it. We want to be able to discharge our water, not downhole dispose of it. We want to be able to use it for agriculture. We want to be able to use it for municipal, uh, like we use municipal wastewater, and clean it up uh, for municipal use and uh, uh, as well as perhaps even go into the uh, waters of the state into, uh, into rivers. You hey, know, Bill, uh, do, you, do you feel like you have uh, 
of course, you, the majority in the House of Representatives now is, is Democrat in Washington. And just wondering, do you feel like you have some good bipartisan support on this, maybe from Representative Cuellar and others? Oh, well, certainly we do. Uh, there are there are some, but I would I would uh, uh, be remiss if I didn't recognize that, uh, again, the final date that we have to ask for this and try to get it approved through, uh, through EPA is uh, in September 1, 2021. Depending on what happens with the national elections, both in Congress uh, and in the White House, uh, that could put it, that could certainly, politics could certainly put it in jeopardy. There is right. no doubt about that. But I've met with uh, uh, Administrator Wheeler at EPA, the current administrator, and Itzel, who was the Region 6 administrator, although she doesn't work in water, she works in air and uh, um, uh, air and radiation now in Washington, D.C., a longtime Texas, Texan from the TCQ and the GLO. Uh, she's understanding. Uh, uh, we have worked with EPA on their recent uh, white paper that they did this last year on national uh, produced water discharge. Ours was only on Texas, but they did theirs nationally. And we worked with Jesse Pritz and their water division. We're working with New Mexico, Oklahoma, et cetera. Yes, I think we can come up with, uh, uh, given that there is not a, a radical uh, pushback on what happens in the elections, I think there's a good opportunity. So, Bill, I have a, a question just um, thinking about the important work that you guys are doing in this area and the environmentalists that say that they want to see better use of resources. So we're talking about repurposing water that's being used to continue to, to reuse it in other areas. And I just can't seem to wrap my head around why anyone wouldn't would be opposed to this instead of just eliminating the water back downhole. Uh, there are people that are actually going to be against this. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe um, after the break we can talk about you know what is the point there. Only because from what I see, we should be encouraging recycling. Our elected officials should be encouraging this and we should be trying to find ways. And I always see the oil and gas industry trying to do things greener and more beneficial. And, um, you know, sometimes what we need to probably do is have our elected officials help the industry instead of maybe getting in the way of it. And it's just, you know, my opinion on what I think we probably need to start trying to do. So you, we probably need to have, do some work with some advocacy groups to try to get um involvement in that because it seems like it's the right thing to do. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. 
Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. 7188. And we're back. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. Uh, with us today is Bill Stevens, who is with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. Uh, Bill, before the break uh, on segment one, uh, David and I were talking a little bit about the speaker, Speaker Dennis uh, Bonner, who announced that he would be vacating the speaker's office next year. And uh, I wanted to get back on that topic because it seems like this is a very important position, specifically in oil and gas. And uh, David, jump back in here. I want to get your opinion on, um, you know, where where do you feel this uh, do you have any sense on who the new speaker will be? Um, how important is this to oil and gas? Will it change anything? Yeah, Bill, I, I just thought it'd be really good to, to hear your views on this and what, if any, impacts uh, you think it, it could have on the industry. Of course, anytime you have a change in speakers, that's a big deal in the Texas government. I just, you know, I know you have some views on it and would love to hear them. Well, <laughs> It's certainly been uh, uh, tumultuous over the last little bit with uh, uh, Speaker Bonin's uh, political problems, uh, and, and so. But he has said that he is going not going to run again; that he will not be Speaker again. And, and now there now to be needs to be a clear path forward of how they're going to replace him. And uh, you know, they're only real clear path is that you have uh, it needs to be done in a session but, we, but I don't think they want to call a special session to elect a new speaker. So that's right. up in the air right now but uh, uh, from that standpoint Speaker Bonin uh, was always I thought even handed with the industry uh, I, you know I wouldn't have called him a, just a, a big outgoing advocate but he was even handed and as speaker this last session he certainly was that again uh, I think the uh, House can easily replace him, however, with somebody that uh, I think they will replace him with somebody that's not anti-oil and gas. I would say to you, David, uh, from earlier in the segment, uh, uh, yes, the Republicans do have a, a majority in the House currently, but a nine-vote, nine-seat change, nine seats uh, switching from uh, R to D would put it in the hands would put it in the hands of uh, of the Democrats, um, and that's not totally all bad. Uh, I think Republicans in general uh, are much more favorable to our industry, um, but uh, we have lots of good friends on the D side, and we will be relying on them. I w- I'm assuming I, I'm uh, thinking there will be a Republican speaker. But we will be relying on our friends on the Democrat side in the Texas House of Representatives um, you know, to continue to support uh, the good policy that they have. Um, now, 
we were talking about uh, the uh, changes in, uh, of um, uh, groups that might oppose our uh, using produced water for something. And uh, there are environmental groups across the nation, and many of them are backed by the Democratic Party, um, that will oppose it. Uh, the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, uh, you know, the Sierra Club, the Texas uh, uh, Environment Texas, Public Citizen. Those are all um, uh, groups that have already expressed uh, concern and opposition to what we're trying to do. However, uh, I think uh, they have been muted. I would say this. I was just at a um, uh, EPA hearing. I testified in Dallas before an EPA committee uh, and uh, on another oil and gas matter, not water per se, but a similar air emissions matter. And out of the 100 people that were there to testify, 98 were against the industry and against the EPA uh, lessening any regulations. I was one of two people that spoke in favor of it. Um, I was surprised that we didn't have more industry out uh, working on that. I don't know why. But uh, so we've got to stand up and be counted. And if we do, and we have good friends on the Democrat side, particularly in the Texas delegation, both in the U.S. Congress and in the uh, uh, Texas House of Representatives. So, uh, Well, Bill, you know, I mean, I, it's been up throughout the years. We've always wondered why the industry doesn't uh, come out in better, better force to stand up for itself at hearings like that. That's been uh, something that's been the case for a long time, and I, I guess it's never going to change. Let's, well, guys, let's... I think a lot of the big public companies are, are, are concerned about their image and their involvement in some things. So, yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about the Texas Railroad Commission to Wayne Christian on our last few minutes that we have. Um, he released a warning to the industry about flaring. And I just want to get you all, get both of your opinions. Uh, David, you and I have covered this in past segments. Um, but, Bill, it would be interesting to hear what, um, what you think on how can we help resolve this, this lingering issue with flaring in, in the Midland area. Any ideas? Well, obviously, takeaway and being able to uh, have enough pipeline capacity to uh, get the natural gas to market and... Uh, uh, is is the prime prime importance? I think we're moving that way, particularly on crude oil and on natural gas liquids. But there, uh, at recent uh, meetings that I've been to, there still seems to be some question of whether or not we can get uh, uh, enough uh, enough pipeline capacity for the natural gas. We've got to solve that takeaway problem to get it uh, to the marketplace. Uh, I did have uh, a long conversation with. Uh, and not totally about that, but I, but I did have a conversation with uh, our Chairman Christian, uh, Commissioner, who's now Chairman of the Commission. Yep. Uh, he um, uh, he's not, you know, he's not going to go out and, and report that we just end the flaring, but he does believe that there's got to be some other rationale uh, that uh, people have got to uh, be able to show in good faith that they're trying to move that natural gas. Uh, and, of course, in my last time that I was with you here on this program a couple of months ago, we had just come off the uh, legislative session where we approached eminent domain. Uh, and 
we were not successful in getting a compromise bill between the landowners uh, and uh, and the industry on uh, 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 pipeline industry on eminent domain. Uh, that's still out in front of us. But and I would say this: that what the Senate approved and sent over to the House on eminent domain last session would have stifled, and it might have been good for landowners, probably, but it would have stifled the building of pipelines out of the Permian in a, in a pipeline that was uh, probably would take one and year. that's not good. Yeah, that's not good. Well, listen, uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. In our last few seconds, for more information on Texas Alliance, please visit texasalliance.org. David and Bill, thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to having you back on the show. Together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.